Programming Throwdown, episode 61, Closure, with special guest Eric Norman. Take it away, Jason. Hey, everyone. Um, if you're a longtime listener, you may remember we did an episode on Lisp uh, almost three years ago, and uh, we're coming back, and we're covering it in a lot of detail. Um, one of the things, one of the comments that we got when we did the Lisp episode from a lot of people was, you know, hey, we want to learn more about Lisp, and here's some more details about Lisp and things like that. This is before we really had a strong social network presence where the only way you could really communicate was by emailing us. And uh, so we got a lot of email about Lisp. And so we're really we also, happy. Oh, go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, we also briefly did mention Clojure on, we did like a collective episode of a bunch of JVM languages. That's right. And so we mentioned Clojure by name there. And, uh, <clears throat> and so we have Eric, uh, Norman to talk in much more detail about uh, closure and kind of really teach all of us a lot of really cool things about closure. So, so Eric, kind of tell us about yourself and uh, what do you do? Hi, my name is Eric Norman. Um, my current tagline is I help people thrive with functional programming. Nice. I run a site called purelyfunctional.tv where I teach people closure. I want to expand it to other functional programming languages. Uh, and I basically teach with video and exercises and, and, and other, other online things. Cool. What, what sort of inspired you to, to build that site and to teach people closure and other functional languages? Uh, well, it's evolved over time. Um, I have always liked teaching. Well, always. Uh, I, I was a teacher uh, oh, cool. in the Peace Corps, and I was teaching math. And when I got back, I I kind of started missing it. I started programming again, and uh, I started making uh, videos and off and on. And then at some point, I did a Kickstarter to get some closure videos made, and that was a success. And just ever since then, I've been adding more and more videos. Cool. Very cool. What is it like running a Kickstarter? I've never actually, I've, I've funded several Kickstarters. I've never kickstarted anything. I mean, how do you, what was that process like? Uh, so it was not, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I think the biggest thing was beforehand, I talked to my friend who has funded a lot and like kind of saw what worked and what didn't. I, I hadn't been active on Kickstarter at all. And so it was like just a lot of discussions with him about like how what should I set my goal at, uh, what should my rewards be, uh, you know that kind of thing. And he helped me come up with the uh, the structure there. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I would say that my biggest advice for someone who's going to do a Kickstarter is take into account the marketing that you're going to do during the campaign. So I did mine for 30 days, which at that time was the default. I don't know what the default is now. But at that time, it was default to 30 days. And so that's 30 days of you like tweeting and promoting and like just being generally like on edge about whether you're going to make it and stuff. And if I were to do it again, I would probably cut it down to like 10 days or 15 days. Um, because most of the, the backers came in at either the beginning or the end. And so if you just cut out the middle, then I would have had about the same amount. So That makes sense. And, and, and one thing that I noticed is it's really, you know, you have to, the audience wants to have faith in, in you, like in you delivering on the Kickstarter. And so if you're, if you're messaging every single day, like, you know, here's what I ate for breakfast today. I eat closure flavored Cheerios, you know, then then like people know, okay, this person means business and and if I if I donate that it's one, it's gonna work out, and two, like I'm donating to more than just a set of videos. It's like a cause. Yeah, for sure. I, it it really helps to have an audience before you start. Um, I think that's the number one failure reason is is people don't have anybody to who, who can listen who know you know they're shouting into the void 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, so you know, kind of explain. You know, if you had to sort of explain functional programming to someone who's never heard it before, how, how do you, you know, how do you sort of describe that? Let's say there's someone who, you know, has taken some courses. They get C, um, you know, C plus plus really well, um, and but they've never seen Lisp or 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 Haskell or or Clojure or any of these. How would you sort of explain that to them? Yeah, so that's a really uh, hard and complicated question because I don't think there is a very agreed-upon definition of functional programming. Um, but functional programming, for sure, comes from Lambda Calculus. And Lambda Calculus is a mathematics that uses nothing but functions. And so there's... Definitely the notion of using functions as your main form of abstraction. And functions are higher order. That means that they can be uh, passed to other functions as arguments, and you can return functions from arguments. So functions are values that you can pass around. And languages like C, C++, you can kind of... Like, let's take C, because I know that a bit better. You know, you can pass function pointers around and stuff, and, and people do interesting stuff with that. But they don't have what's called lexical closures. Uh, it's a technical term. Uh, it just means a function that can refer to variables that are defined where the function is defined. So, like, in JavaScript, if I have a, a, um, a variable defined, let's say variable A, equals 1, and then I have a function defined right after that, then I can refer to A in the body of the function. You can't do right. that in C. So it, it becomes like, you can't, so you can't like capture the environment that it was in. So you can't really do the functional stuff. Yep, that makes sense. So, I mean, I think one analogy is if you've ever played World of Warcraft, um, or any of these, you know, MMOs or, or many games kind of like it, you know, some of the weapons, you know, in the beginning you get the wooden sword and like you just hit the rat over and over again. But then as you get better and better, you get one of these swords that has what's called a proc, which is short for a procedure. So it might be, you know, when you hit somebody, there's a 10% chance of them turning into a chicken or something, right? And so, you know, that, that, process like that event is sort of tied to that sword like you kind of want to assign the turning into a chicken to that weapon and be able to if you give the weapon to someone else you want to sort of give that logic to them too right and so i think yeah part of functional programming is this idea that like you can pass these functions around as as sort of first class citizens yeah wow that's a really uh great metaphor there yeah i played it's, too much world of warcraft <laughs> <laughs> another way to look at it um that uh that that i've heard about is so you have if you're familiar with object-oriented programming you've got objects that have methods so that's data with functions attached well in in a, a closure in a in a lexical closure like in a functional language you have functions with data attached. So right. those that the the variables that are defined in the scope are are the data that you can access from that function. Yeah, that makes sense. So so that's functional programming, and we covered Lisp uh, in the in the in the Lisp episode. Um, but uh, but basically, you know. Yeah, what is closure? I mean, you know, when we covered closure, we just very superficially said closure is Lisp on the JVM. But you know, I'm sure it's it's much more than just that. Um, you know, kind of how does closure fit into this whole landscape? Oh, uh, good question. Well, closure is a, a Lisp for the JVM, and Lisp is cool because it's got it's like a family. You know, it's like it got dialects. And so Clojure is a dialect of Lisp that is made to be hosted on a virtual machine. Um, 
and and JVM is like the the first ho- uh, virtual machine that it's hosted on. Oh, I um, see. Is there, is there something you can't do in Clojure because of that? I mean, is it is there like because it's a dialect of Lisp? Is there is there some things that aren't there or are there that aren't in regular Lisp? Um, huh, that's a good question. I mean, it's a different language than, say, Common Lisp. So there's a lot of stuff that uh, comes with Common Lisp um, that is built into the language, whereas in Clojure, because it's designed to be hosted, uh, it, it just relies on, on what the host can do. Gotcha. So uh, I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, Common Lisp has this very sophisticated and like just a lot of features in the exception mechanism. So when you throw an exception, you can actually do what's called a restart. So you catch this exception and you can like fix the problem and then recall it and go right back to where the exception was thrown. So if like the file is not found, you can be like, oh, not found. Well, let me make it. And then you go right back into where it was, right? Oh, cool. Um, Whereas in Java... And it's just built into the JVM. It's not part of the Java language. It's it's part of the virtual machine. The exception gets thrown, and like the call stack gets unwound, and it's lost. Like you can't go back to where you were. Gotcha. Um, it's just, and and so Clojure just kind of borrows all of that stuff from the host that it's on. So that includes like Clojure's numbers are just Java numbers. Um, Closure strings are just Java strings. Functions in Closure get compiled into a Java class. Um, so you know all all this stuff just becomes some concept on the JVM. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, so so I mean, how are some of these things like possible? Like in Java, you can't have closures right so so um i mean I, i'm assuming closure can't be built in java it has to um like in other words like the concept of closures have to be added in machine code i guess to the jvm or something well actually um it's is really interesting how it's uh implemented so what most of the language is written in java um most of the data structures, uh, most of like the logic and the compiler, it's all in Java. Um, the way closures are implemented is, is like I said, it's a, there's a class, and when you have a new function that you're compiling, it extends that class, that that function class. Oh, and the, I see. And the function class has a bunch of methods on it. And each method is a different uh, signature. So it'll have the zero argument method, it'll have the one argument method, the two argument method, etc. And it the your your the class that it compiles to will extend those. Gotcha. And then and then all of the um the the data in the closure, meaning the variables in scope that it needs to access, get get put into the class as as member variables. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's very clever. <laughs> that's it's awesome. clever and like it it it's a way to you know use the function or the the method calls semantics of the JVM from you know. Without without having to like invent some other mechanism, right? That makes sense. So, um, so sort of you know, for somebody who's maybe you know really into web development or you have know, done a lot of maybe C plus plus kind of backend work, C plus plus Java, like why should they learn Closure? You know, for someone who's already mastered you know one or two or several languages, like what you know you know we always talk about this metaphor of the toolbox. And how there's not one sort of magic language. It's just the same as there's not one magic wrench that just does everything, or not one magic tool that just does everything. That's a wrench and a hammer and a you know whatever. And so, you know, if someone wants to you know assemble this sort of toolbox of languages that's sort of comprehensive, 
you know, what sort of disclosure add to, to that toolbox? That is a really great question. And it's something that I don't think is, is really fully answered. I can tell you, like, there's no general, like, one answer to, to, to satisfy that question. I'll tell you why I like it and some also why people I know like it too. Um, so when, when it first came out, the, the big story behind closure was that it, it handled concurrency really well. So the JVM has a lot of Java, the language has a lot of libraries and stuff for handling concurrency. And there's, books written about how to do concurrency right on the JVM. Yeah, it's very the problem hard. is, yeah, <laughs> it's hard. Like, you have to read this book and then do everything right or you're going to get bugs. Yeah. And um, what, what Rich Hickey, the creator of Clojure, did is he took that, the, that book and basically built the language around that. So it works that way. Like, it, it, it's very hard to... to like not do it that way. Um, so a lot of the primitives in the language, like, you know, there's all, all sorts of stuff in Java, like you use the volatile keyword and, yep. and you have to, um, you make stuff immutable and things like that. Like all of that is just taken care of for you. So it has this really nice story of like concurrency is the default and it, it works really easily right out of the box. Um, and, and that is true and it's really nice and it's weird when I go to another language and I'm like, well, how do I do this at the same time? And like, oh, well you, you can't, or you have to do this other completely, um, like boilerplate system to get something else to run at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a huge, huge problem. I mean, you know, what typically happens, you know, you're building, especially if you're building an app for the desktop, um, you have some kind of UI and you know, the person specifies some files and then you want to go off and do a bunch of work on those files. And it's almost always embarrassingly parallel. Like very rarely um, do you need to do like just one, like very sequential one thing at a time. Usually someone gives you For kind sure. of a batch of things to do. And in most languages like C++ and Java, it, this can get kind of quite painful. Yeah, yeah, it gets painful because like all the all the pieces are there, right? Like you know, well in Java to make a thread, you just do new thread and you have a thread and, and like what's the problem? Well, that's only half the answer. The other half is now that you've got this thread, how do you get information that it's calculating out back into the thread where you're going to display it on the UI, right? Yeah. And and it's it's all these like ancillary problems like oh well, I maybe I need a queue okay well you know you're gonna construct a thread and a queue and a thing and like you just it just never ends right yeah whereas yeah, in totally. in closure it's it's as simple as well I'll just have th there's a, a bunch of different primitives uh, one of them's called an atom and an atom is like the simplest kind of shared state it's just one pointer that that you can change and uh, you you can have multiple threads accessing this pointer you can read from it uh, or you can write to it and it's uh, thread safe and um, I mean this goes into like why one of the reasons I really like it is the focus of closure is on the simplicity of separating out all the different problems and solving them independently so that you can compose them back together. Um, so you have the atom and all it does is keeps one pointer and makes sure that whenever you transition from one state to the next, you're transitioning from a consistent state to another consistent state, like in a transaction. Gotcha. I, it, you you can't see it halfway done, and that is what allows multiple threads to read and write to it. I mean, really, with with very little code, um, you don't have to deal with locks and stuff like that. It's all handled by the atom, um, and this this simplicity of 
sort of here's here's the right tool for the job and like the language just kind of gets out of your way uh, i really appreciate that yeah it makes sense i mean most of the time you don't need to do these like hog wild things where you have three different threads all updating the ui at the same time i mean these things were important you know in the 90s but now it's like uh if, if, if you have three threads and each one locks the UI, updates it, and unlocks it, computers are fast enough where we don't need that level of control. And uh, if you if you uh, are willing to sacrifice the level of control, you could have a much cleaner language. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Um, so, so, so most people want to build... I mean, there's people like Patrick who do crazy robotic stuff homebrew stuff he's got you know a drone firing lasers at people who come up to his house but but for the rest of us like the other 99 percent of us we're either building you know a website a desktop app which could include like a server that's serving web pages um, um or or a mobile app like an iphone app or an android app so can you do you know these three things like any or all of these things in closure how does that how does that kind of work Yes, uh, yes, for sure. Um, so the the easiest one is the web app. Um, web apps uh, have been done in Java for a long time. Uh, there's a thing in Java called servlets, servlet interface, and most of the closure web systems are some wrapper that uses that uses the servlet API. Um, there's the, actually the closure ecosystem, web ecosystem is evolving right now, but for a long time, the, the main system was called ring and it was kind of like rack in, uh, in Ruby. And all it would do is it would take the request and turn it into a map and it had a standard format, you know, the the request method was under a certain key, mm-hmm. and it was a string, and then the um, like the port was a different was a different key, and it was a number, and the body was a you know, so you could get this map, and then you did whatever you want with it, and then you would return a uh, in, in in a you would return a, a response. There's another map in a similar format and then there was an there's three concepts there's the adapter which is the thing that connects to the servlet api or whatever api you're using to do the web stuff so it that adapter connects to the api and converts requests into the ring request and then converts the ring response back into an http response and then you have your handlers, which are functions from request to response. And then what's called middleware, which transform the request or the response uh, as it passes through. So it, it actually transforms the handler into a new handler. Yep, that makes so sense. So that's so you would basically construct your web app out of these these pieces. Um, and uh, like I said, it's evolving. Like people are learning stuff. They want to do asynchronous stuff. Functions aren't great for doing like async calls. Um, but uh, that's 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 still the main idea is that you got this request map and a response map. Yeah, that makes sense. So basically, all of the ideas. If you're used to doing Java, you know, server side web development all of those ideas kind of translate almost one-to-one to to closure and someone has written adapters so you can kind of work in a completely closure environment and not have to worry about all of those bridges. That's right. And, and it's much, to me, it feels much cleaner and, uh, how do I put this? It's much more direct. So in like the servlet API, you get this request object that you like query like well what you, you know you call the method like get get method right yep. or which gives you the http method and stuff like that and um 
So you really have to understand this API really well and like look up the docs. And then when you do the response, you have to like do set header and and you're not supposed to call set header after you've like piped in the body, you know, and like there's all sorts of of like rules for how to use these things. And it's it to me that that's like really hard to keep track of. Yeah, totally. Um, the, and so in in Ring, the adapter is supposed to handle that. So you handle that one, one time, right? Like the adapter, once it's well written and and conforms to the API and to the Ring spec, uh, it's done. You know, you know, it's it's like you can just close that book and say, well, version whatever, it's done. And um, that's the kind of thing I, I really appreciate with the Closure community. There's actually libraries that they're like it's done we finished <laughs> nice. um it's it's not like this continuing thing like oh well we're trying to adapt it to this other situation so you don't have this problem and uh, we solved it <laughs> yeah that's um, what, it makes it. what about like mobile if you're building an iphone app or android app can you do that in enclosure uh so there's a couple of options um I don't think that this is being done so much anymore, but because the closure runs on the JVM, it can run on the on the Android JVM, the Dalvik JVM. Okay. Um, but I think the the most of the work now is in React Native. Gotcha. Um, there was some stuff with PhoneGap, so. We didn't talk about this, but Clojure also compiles to JavaScript. And I talked about it being hosted on the JVM. Well, another host that Clojure can run on is JavaScript. Oh, nice. And when it's when it's compiled to JavaScript, it's called Clojure Script. Oh, um, it's does basically it use a spider monkey or, or both? I mean, it's whatever you want. It's JavaScript. So you can run it on any of the JavaScript Oh, very PMs. nice. That is super cool. You can run on Node. Uh, you can run it, you know, serve it through a, a web app and use it like, like whatever browser they've got. Run it. Um, you can do React Native. Uh, you can do Electron. I, yep. I mentioned PhoneGap. People have been doing that for a while. Um, oh, that is quite yeah. remarkable. So, so, uh, so if you if you you know, I mean, JavaScript is very universal. Um, but if you just, let's say you just hate JavaScript or you're, you're programming something in a certain paradigm where a functional language would be much better, or at least, you know, closure would be much better then uh, then you can actually write closure and it will compile or transpile down to JavaScript. That's pretty cool. That's right. That's right. And you know, you said, you said the word transpile and that's what it's doing. Um, but a lot of times when people think transpile, they think CoffeeScript. And um, I have nothing against CoffeeScript, but one of CoffeeScript's like, goals was to be just JavaScript, but with better syntax, right? It's like right. you could, you could kind of guess what, what JavaScript would be generated. Yeah, I think they even know? have a, it's two-way. You can actually... You can convert it back. Oh, I didn't know that. Or maybe it's. Oh no, sorry, sorry. It's not two way, but there's a there's a uh, what's the word? Like there's a JavaScript compiler for CoffeeScript, and so you, there's actually on the CoffeeScript website you can paste CoffeeScript and it will turn it into JavaScript. You just write there uh -huh. on the website, and uh -huh. that's what I use CoffeeScript for 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 taking other people's CoffeeScript and converting it to uh, JavaScript. I see. I see. I see. Um, yeah, and so that's a really, you know, that's that's a, a valuable thing to do is to like make the the syntax better because JavaScript can get pretty verbose. But yep. ClojureScript is different. It is it really feels like a different language. Oh, um, I see. And 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 by that token, when you transpile it, you get JavaScript that's kind of unintelligible because it's it's meant to be it's almost yeah. like looking at assembly or something. Right, exactly. So it doesn't it doesn't do like uh, asm.js. Functions compile into, you know, closure functions compile into JavaScript functions. Um, a lot of the 
uh, like, you know, if statements and stuff, like you could read them. Um, what gets hairy is that it does a lot. The compiler does some optimizations. Uh, so, you know, what, what looks like a regular function call is actually in going to turn into in JavaScript a dot call. You know, functions in, in JavaScript actually have methods, and one of them is dot call. And so when you're looking at the compiled code, it's like a little crazy because it doesn't look like you would write JavaScript at all. Yeah, that makes but sense. But that's okay because the um, source mapping is all in there. So when you look at it in your like Chrome Dev Tools, you're looking at the ClojureScript code, and you're getting line numbers from your ClojureScript code, like through the whole oh, stack. Oh, nice. Trace. Yeah. So, so source like, mapping, and maybe actually it'd be amazing if you could explain it because I have no idea how it works. But basically, I've used it for TypeScript, and uh, what it, it's it, what it does under you know under the hood, I don't know. Hopefully, maybe Eric can can educate all of us. But on the surface, you know, you've You've written in TypeScript, but the person in the browser is still executing JavaScript. The person could be you. And when you get an error, you don't want it to just show you this completely unintelligible JavaScript. You want the error to actually redirect back to your code that you can actually modify. And the source map helps make that happen. Yeah, for sure. That's that's a great explanation. It's like if you're gonna if you're gonna serve up some JavaScript. Usually you're gonna minify it and like maybe uglify it, and so it's gonna be like one long line of JavaScript, and that's gonna be impossible to debug. It's gonna say line one, <laughs> like bug <laughs> on line one. Here's and, always uh, line one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So they came up with this system. The browser makers came up with this system where you have this other file that's included along with it uh, that gives you like the it gives you the ranges of code in that original file and the and the line that they correspond to in the original file and in, in the code that you wrote gotcha um, and that works for JavaScript and CSS I think and because you know people minify that too yeah and so um, it it it's really nice now because they've got it where you can put breakpoints. You know, you can debug it and step through line by line. Like what what you think of as a line because it's the code you wrote. Like you can put a breakpoint there and and walk through line by line even though it is compiled into some crazy JavaScript that you can't read. Oh man, so, that's awesome. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never actually knew you could do that. I always I always had unminified code when I was debugging. Um, but yeah, I never needed to do that. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, and that's actually largely thanks to um, one system that uh, that the ClojureScript compiler uses. It's called the Google Closure compiler, and that's Closure with an S. Google Closure. Right. Um, the so the the ClojureScript compiler is is a very simple kind of naive compiler, but it outputs code that the Google Closure compiler can read. The Google Closure compiler is what Gmail is built in. And um, it does some really aggressive optimizations. There's different modes, but like when you're going to release your code, like it does all this crazy optimizations on it, uh, like totally analyzing code paths and like eliminating functions you don't call and things like that. Yeah, just to, just to sort of explain, because it's it's super confusing. Um, so there's so there's a Google Closure compiler. Yeah, I think the it's, naming it's, is really terrible. Yeah, it's spelled with an S, and yeah. uh, it has nothing to do with Closure, you know, at That's least a- directly. All it does is it takes JavaScript code, <clears throat> and it makes it you know faster and more efficient. Um, just like uh, you could have a Think of it as like an optimizer, right? You could have, you know, you could compile your code with dash O, uh, dash O zero, which no optimizations, or you can compile your code with dash O three. And it produces, even though it's the same code, same logic, it produces a totally different binary. And that binary has all sorts of crazy, you know, GCC optimizations 
uh, you know, baked into it. And so Clojure is kind of like compiling with Dash 03, but it's in JavaScript. And so it JavaScript goes in, JavaScript goes out, but the JavaScript that comes out is 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 much more a much more efficient representation of what you originally intended. Um, and uh, that's different than Clojure with a J, which is what we're talking about. But but you can actually use Clojure script with Clojure to produce you know to write in Clojure and produce really fast JavaScript. That's right. That's right. And I mean, it is it is some really cool technology. It's from Google. That's what they use to produce Gmail. Um, and I mean, there's stuff like um, what's called splitting, module splitting, which means like, okay, so imagine you got you're developing this web app, and like your front page is going to have some JavaScript on it, but you don't have to be logged in to do it. And most people who go to that front page aren't going to log in. Then right. there's all the people who log in and they're going to have this like rich web app experience, so a ton of JavaScript. Um, and the thing is, you don't want to serve that big JavaScript to just the people who just go to the front page. So the idea behind splitting is that the compiler can analyze your code and figure out, well, the front page uses, you know, this bit of code, the back end uses this bit of code, and then this bit bit of code is shared between the two. So you can cache that one that's shared between the two and only serve the the you know the the home page code and that shared code to the people who are visiting the front of your site and then then after they log in they can get the rest of the code so it's it's a way to like optimize the experience for you know people who don't need that part of the code cool yeah that makes sense i mean one thing uh, one thing that people might not realize there's an incredible amount of energy spent on making especially the front page of any site load very quickly um there's statistics that show for every, you know, maybe 10 milliseconds. And it, of course, it depends on different products and different sites. But, you know, for every 10 milliseconds that the front page takes to load, you lose, you know, X percent of your customers. And and it's, it's like pretty significant. So, so yeah, so if Clojure can kind of do, separate that and speed that up, it's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's exactly the reason that um, people, people want to do it. It's just that speed of first load. Um but still provide some JavaScript uh, and then not having to like, you know, the recommendations are to do all of that manually, like keep two files of JavaScript and, you know, do, you know, keep that manually. That's crazy. Yeah. It's um, way too much work. Yeah. It's too much work. Um, and so we've been talking about all this cool stuff we can do. The thing is the development experience in, in my opinion, is better than the JavaScript development experience. So it's not like it's, you know, oh, you get this great language, but then you've, you've lost something because you've, um, you know, you're, you have to have all this tooling and stuff. I recently, so, okay, l- l- let me give a little history. About four years ago, I was doing a lot of front-end development, back-end and front-end, but Specifically, I was working on like a JavaScript app. Um, okay. And four years ago, the the space wasn't so developed. I don't think Angular was even out yet. Backbone was new. Like it was all 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 this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, we were using cat, the Unix command, to put different JavaScript files together. Oh like no! That's, <laughs> there was no Bower and Grunt. I don't even know what they are. Yeah. And um, so it was very simple times, and it worked, you know, it worked. Um, and then I went into ClojureScript, and I was doing the way you do it in ClojureScript, and ClojureScript was really new, so a lot of it was, like, raw. And, and, but it was evolving very quickly. And then I had to go back to JavaScript for another job, and I was just shocked 
I mean, the number of tools you need and libraries and like, oh, you're still using Grunt? You should be using Yank or whatever it's called, Yarn, (laughs) NPM. Like, NPM didn't exist when I left JavaScript before. And it's like, I I just, it, it is just so crazy how many libraries and tools you need to develop nowadays in JavaScript. And yeah, and it, it sounds like the closure script is more is, is, is easier to work with than end script in. So there's if you've ever used that, it's it's a total nightmare. Um, I don't even know what that is. Oh, and script in is this thing where it takes C++ code and turns it into JavaScript. Um, it actually goes through LLB, LLVM and then goes LLVM to JavaScript. And, uh, you know, Zynga used it. For uh, for all of their uh, games, so the idea is ah, for games, yeah, yeah. If you play like Zynga Poker on uh, your phone, that's oh, that's almost all C plus plus code. Um, there's just a little bit of you know iOS or or Android code to handle the drawing and things like that. Um, if you play Zynga Poker on say like Facebook.com or or I don't know if even Zynga.com, like but on on the web version, that's also C plus plus code, the same code. But it's been it's been um, you know translated to JavaScript with Mscripten, and uh, talking to people who who've worked at Zynga, it's just a total nightmare. I mean, if you have a bug in the C plus part, oh, you just no, have no to bugs. catch it on mobile. Like if there's right. some bug where if someone gets all four aces, it crashes or something, you just won't catch it on the web. Like it's it's lost. <laughs> you just wow. have to hope that you have that same bug on mobile. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, like, I don't, I don't mean to bash on all these languages. I love languages; they're great. But I, I recently had to uh, work in C plus plus, um, and I don't know C plus plus, so it's totally new to me. So I was already dealing with all of the like, the novelty of everything. But the build system, I mean, <laughs> we yeah. were just taking I, like it took me over a week to get it to build on my machine. And I could imagine if then, okay, you finally got it to build and now it's running in, in the browser and you don't have any way of, no, like, you know, source maps or, you know, something like that to debug it. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it's a total nightmare. Um, yeah. it, but you're, you're totally right. Like, I mean, now things are a little bit better. There's Bazel um, and there's Buck. Uh, Basil's from Google. Buck is from Facebook. They're basically the same thing, um, but but even then, it's they're they're not great. I mean, it's well, even it's, dependency yeah. management in C plus plus is still really bad. Oh yeah, it's a total nightmare. If you want to pull like, there's really no repository, not that I know of. There's not really a central repository of C plus plus. You know, I don't even know how that would work because you'd have to, you wouldn't be able to keep the binary because it's machine specific. You know, right. Oh yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that. I don't. I don't. I'm not in that world, and I'm yeah. glad I'm not. But so. but, uh, but yeah, it sounds like closure script is better than that. <laughs> is more mature than that. Oh yeah, yeah, and and I mean, the the thing about JavaScript is it's a huge ecosystem. There's so many people in it. People are dissatisfied with their tools, and they write new tools, but there's so much to keep up with every six months you have to like rewrite your build system because you know it's not using the newest thing and you need a feature from the newest one or um i mean that's why like in my personal my personal website i use cat i have a make file and i cat javascript Mm -hmm. together and javascript is kind of like that you can do that right you can just take two bits of javascript and smush them together and you have a bigger bit of javascript yeah um and that's that's i i just don't i I guess i'm getting older i just don't want to deal with these like cycles of learning a tool and and uh figuring out its json config format and yeah absolutely i I mean i uh when i was in high school or I guess maybe college. Yeah, when I was in college, I got Ubuntu. Not Ubuntu. I got Gentoo. And uh, for people who don't know, it takes about eighteen hours 
to install, or at least at that time. It took about 18 hours to install Gen 2. Now, you don't have to be there for 18 hours, but it's kind of like you get in, you install the bootloader, you know, you spend about an hour entering all these different commands to install the bootloader. And at the time, that was super cool because you feel like this, like Neo from the Matrix, like some crazy hacker. Yeah, and um, Windows took a long time to install too. Like, yeah, yeah, but in terms of like effort, um, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like Windows, uh, Windows definitely took a while to, you know, write to disk and and all of that. But this was like, you know, you have your bootloader, you'd reboot to the command line, like to just a root prompt. And sometimes, you know, you do it wrong and you'd reboot and nothing would happen. And and that was super, super fun at the time. But as soon as you become a professional and someone says, when is this going to be done? And you say a week. And then instead of taking 18 hours, it takes 30 hours to install your OS. You're kind of in big trouble. <laughs> like, yeah, like it is sure. not fun anymore, <laughs> you know? And so, sure. yeah, you immediately switch to, okay, I need something reliable, you know, that's quick, that I could depend on. Yeah, sure. I mean, I remember uh, I used to be, like, in, in the 90s, I used to run Linux, and it was kind of the same as you were saying. Like, it would take this huge amount of time to, like, select your video card and make sure that X Windows would work with it yep. and get all the settings right. There was no auto-detect at that time. And then at some point, I would just be like, okay, enough. I need to check my email. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just, right. I, so I would just like use the barest X there was. Yep. The barest X Windows. The one where you like, you, you boot into X Windows and you have to like right click to get a menu. Yeah, it's just like that. that, that <laughs> or you weird, just get a terminal. <laughs> that horrible grid of like black and yeah. white dots and your cursor yeah, exactly. is an X. Exactly, exactly. And you just have a terminal and I would just type Netscape. And I would yeah. get a web browser. Oh, so nice. Yeah, good Such old good days. Time. So, yeah. so let's say someone, you know, has a website already in JavaScript, and uh, it's using, you know, a bunch of different libraries. It's using, you know, random and using all sorts of different libraries. Um, you know, they 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 rewriting it is totally off the books. But now they need to do something which Clojure is really good at. How does that work? Like, is there some type of interoperability layer? Yeah. So, uh, because Clojure and Clojure Script were designed to be hosted, the interop is just really seamless. Uh, you can call, uh, first of all, any function, you can just call it like, like a JavaScript function. Oh, you nice. get a JavaScript function from something, you just call it. If you get an object, like let's say you get a promise, you can just call methods on it just like normal JavaScript uh, and you can access the properties too. So uh, the the hardest part with the interop is that you're not dealing with JavaScript arrays anymore. You're going to be dealing with closures, immutable data structures. Gotcha. Um, so you're going to, if you are doing a lot of interop where you're like building up a, a closure vector of data and then you need to pass it to something that needs a, that's expecting an array you're going to have to convert it uh, and so there's going to be a little performance penalty there every time you convert it that makes sense but i mean most people use objects i mean there are you know cases where you need arrays but that's that's more rare i would think mm -hmm. well i mean it's the same with objects if you're if you're using a, a plain javascript object um, you know just like open curly braces um you're you're going to need to convert from so closure would oh, in, in that case closure would use a a, a hash map uh a closure a closure hash map oh, so you. you would need to convert it to a javascript object okay which that means makes sense. which basically requires like walking down the the hash map and converting everything into something that javascript would would use yeah that makes sense Cool. Um, so what about, I mean, you know, we have sort of a faction of the audience. Um, if faction is, is faction like a, I feel like faction is a connotatively positive word, but now I'm starting to doubt myself. <laughs> we have, uh, 
a portion? Yeah, we have a, we have a portion. We have a section of the audience that's just really into the career side. You know, it's 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 people who want to get into the industry, um, yeah. and and so they're you know right now they're you know really wondering you know what's the job market um, you know or or even you know if they're doing freelance they want to do freelance work they're wondering you know can how would this sort of affect my freelance work like does this give me some uh you know if if i'm given the freedom to use any language uh you know does this you know boost my productivity um and so what is sort of the you know on the business end of it um how rich is sort of closure right now uh that is a really uh good question so i'm going to take it in in parts there's a lot of closure jobs out there right now i mean it's not it's not javascript right because you know basically every company has javascript right um and so if they're going to dictate what language you're going to use there's there's much fewer companies that are asking for closure script um but they're out there they're definitely out there and they're looking for people um i i do have to say a couple of things because it's a smaller um smaller group it is easier to to get into um, and it is, I believe, um, how do I put this? If, if you have the JavaScript normal curve of like quality of developer and you have the ClojureScript normal curve of quality of developer, obviously the ClojureScript normal curve is like a smaller, like tiny little thing next to the JavaScript curve. But the average is higher. Yeah, because closure and closure script are probably not their first language whereas in javascript it's it's more much more likely that javascript is their first language so even if you just think someone with two languages is better than one you know you've got you've got that uh going for the closure and closure script side that makes sense uh, I so think, oh i think there's a lot to be said for joining a smaller community um, especially when you're just learning. I mean, there's there's a lot of resources. There's people who are very passionate about it. And uh, you're not just completely swamped. I mean, if you were to learn JavaScript as your first language and, and learn it in sort of a professional sense, you're just completely swamped with, as, as Eric mentioned, just all the different tools, all the different libraries. And uh, uh, it sounds like ClojureScript, you know, with a smaller community, you can really kind of dive deep and get a good understanding. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's, it is a, I mean, everyone, or not everyone, I don't know, many of us have heard this story that JavaScript was actually designed in 10 days, um, which is kind of an exaggeration, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not, not far from the truth. Um, whereas, Closure and ClojureScript have a much richer history um, and a lot of design work went into it. So you can, you can, it's palpable when you're programming in it that things were thought out um, much more than in JavaScript. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, things are starting to trend in the direction of more fully featured languages. I mean, if you look at Haskell and Scala, for example, they have type inferencing, and the browsers now are more sophisticated. So you can um, you can uh, you can see the infer the inferred type, and so you know a combination of the browser and the tooling getting more sophisticated, um, and also the 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 projects just becoming more complex. Um, it sort of dictates you know languages that 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 are more you know principled. And so uh, that's one of the reasons why there's just so many alternatives to JavaScript, like so many different ways you can write JavaScript because people just can't get by with native JavaScript when the project gets very large and complicated. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think ClojureScript would be a great first thing for people to learn. Yeah, I mean, I just did a workshop and we did ClojureScript. Um, it's, and a lot of them were first-time programmers. And it it went well. Um, the 
the number of things we had to install. I think we had to install two programs on their computer. Uh, we had to get the JVM on there because the Closure script compiler does run on the JVM. It's written in Closure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had to get um, Lining in, which is the Closure project management tool. And with those two things, like you're done. Like the, even the editor. This is really crazy, but there's an editor called Nightlight that is just a plugin for lining in. So it runs like you just type line Nightlight and you get an editor that you know you open your browser to a certain URL and you've got an editor editing the code in that project. Oh, nice. And you got live reloading with another plugin so you're typing and like you can see the the change in your browser like you can see the effect of that and so it's just like it's just an amazing experience that someone can type a couple commands at the terminal and get this get this development experience going um yeah very uh, cool yeah now you mentioned uh freelancing um so that one, I think, is is probably where you're going to see the most bang for your buck. Like, if you really can choose whatever language you want, um, which I think is the case in a lot of freelance situations. Yep. I mean, it is a, such a it's so much better than than JavaScript in in my experience. Like, if I was going to do freelance, I would do Closure and Closure Script, no doubt. Yeah, and you can definitely do some pretty sick arbitrage. I mean, if 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 there's a project where closure script would make this so much more efficient, but the person expects you to be writing this in JavaScript, you could actually do it twice as fast. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. And um, like I'm kind of I've been waiting for a little bit, like a couple years now. But with with React. So we've we've heard that React is functional, right? Well, when you have a functional language and a functional framework, it just works so well together. Um, the React wrappers in ClojureScript, there's actually several that are popular, um, but the the React wrappers make it so nice. Like a component is just a single function, and um, I mean, you can do all the lifecycle stuff if you want, but mostly you don't need it. Uh, and you keep your state in an atom, and it's just—it's just so clear, like how your UI is is changing based on the state and how and like adding stuff to the state, removing stuff to this from the state, changing the UI. Um, anyway, it is such a nice development experience that I've been expecting someone to like sweep a hackathon you know just like do something amazing in 48 hours that they could that no one else would believe was even possible because they were using closure script nice. i've been waiting for it to happen but i haven't seen it yet so cool. only it, a matter it, of time yeah yeah maybe maybe because so, like like oh, the closure ahead. script so I, 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 I don't think I've done it enough justice. So not only is the development experience great where you have like live reloading. And when I say live reloading, it doesn't mean like it just refreshes the browser automatically. What it means is your state, your app state is still there. But the UI, like you've changed your UI code and so you could be like a few clicks in, you know, like you're you're testing out your yeah, like your you app have an email app and the email is half written, right? And then you're like, ooh, that that component doesn't really look right, or let me add bold to this toolbar, you know, whatever. And you just add the code to add bold to the toolbar, and boom, the component just changes. And it, the email text is still in there. That's awesome. Yeah, when we explained functional languages uh, three years ago now, um, 
you know, we, we, we told people, a lot of people say, oh, I've never done functional programming. And what we've told the people is actually, yes, you have, and probably your parents have too. It's called Excel, right? And, <laughs> and you know when you're yeah. using Excel and you type a formula and then you, you paste some data and just kind of magically, you know, and as you're changing the formula, the spreadsheet is just changing. It, it feels so kind of alive and magical. I mean, right. it sounds like with, you know, a closure script, you get that same feeling, but with web development. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, the, and you go back to where you have to reload and then like click through a few things to open the thing back up that you were looking at to make sure that you did it right. Uh, and then, oh, I didn't do it right. Or I want to change the styling a little bit more and you have to change the code and then reload. And like, it, I, I, I have no patience for that anymore. I, yeah, I've been spoiled. So, so if someone wants to learn closure, what's sort of the best, you know, way that they can get started? Oh, good question. Uh, there's a lot of books, um, but I'm actually going to take this as a as a cue to plug my stuff. <laughs> um, so I've got uh, purelyfunctional.tv. There's um, oh wow. 150 something videos on there. Oh wow. Of varying length. Um and most of them are like behind a paywall. But there are some things that are um that are available for free if you want to just test them out and see if you like it. Um there's one called Intro to Closure and that's not closure script, it's it's regular closure. But it's the same syntax, same data structures, same core library. So you're, it'll, it'll help you on your way. Um, and also, I've got a page set up, uh, purelyfunctional.tv slash throwdown. And I'll give you a nice uh, coupon code for a, a discount on a subscription. Oh, very cool. So yeah, just to recap, if you go to, um, what was the first part? Purelyfunctional.tv. Purelyfunctional.tv slash throwdown. I'm assuming right. all one word, no hyphens or anything. Right. Yep. So so uh, purelyfunctional.tv slash throwdown. Uh, if you go to that URL, um, you actually get a discount for uh, uh, for some of the premium content on the site. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, get in touch with me. My email is eric at lispcast.com. I love answering email about closure. Any questions you have, that'd be great too. Cool, awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely gonna check this out. This is super cool. Um, I, uh, yeah, I had no idea actually that closure could be used with React and React Native. Um, I, I've struggled trying to learn uh, React and React Native. I mean, I did learn them eventually, but it was not intuitive, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so. Uh, I'm going to give this a shot and see if it feels more natural. It's it's weird. I feel as if there are some things like, uh, I'm trying to give a good example. I, um, I think actually JavaScript is one of them. Like JavaScript felt natural to me insofar as when I was doing it, I was just inspired to keep doing it. There are other things um, like Scala is a good example where I write some Scala and I just want to write less Scala. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I had to do it for a job, so I, you know, kind of powered through it. But, uh, um, and, and I feel React Native is one of these things where the more I did it, the less I wanted to do it. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to try with, uh, with Clojure, uh, I guess with Clojure script and, and see if it, if it feels more natural. Um, well, I actually, um, I had the same experience. I was using JavaScript in React Native for a, a client, and uh, it was, I mean, there was just so much to learn. That was the real thing. It's like, I want to get something done, but, you know, there's all this life cycle things, and um, a lot of the the tooling was, was kind of weird, and then there was uh, all the styling and the, the new components that you had to learn. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the biggest thing of all, which I don't think we ever solved, I think no one has solved this yet, the routing, which I don't, like, I'm, I don't do much mobile development. Apparently routing is, like, really important, and I just don't get it. Um, yeah, same here. But, 
but uh, you know, it's it has to do with like keeping track of the back button and stuff can slide in from the right and slide in from the bottom, and like you want it when you hit the back button, like you want it to remember the, the right thing to go to. Um, anyway, apparently that's a hard problem, and <laughs> um, I then was like, well, I got my I got my bearings in the React Native and. That and that was cool, and so then I tried it with Closure Script, and it was just it was just so fun. Now I didn't make like a complicated app with a lot of screens and stuff, but it it actually felt like wow, I can now make all those little apps that I thought should be easy to do. You know, like I wanted to make a like a tip calculator a, or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I I want to track my I, I run, so I want to track my runs. And I use RunKeeper, but it's like overly complicated for what I need. Yeah. I just want something like I click a button and I start running, you know. Um, and you know that I did it, and it's it's so so nice. Um, so I, I'm actually making a a course uh, about that app that I made. Cool. Um, I've given I've given a talk about it, and yeah, it's it's a really simple app you can make. And it shows off how uh, how nice that live reloading is. So you know you're tweaking the UI, and it just magically changes in your little iOS simulator. Very cool. So uh, yeah, I think that kind of wraps it up. Um, uh, so uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah. Other things I might have missed, you know, because this episode will probably go out, you know, around that time. Um, have, uh, you know, happy holidays and all that. Um, thank you, everyone out there for, you know, supporting the show. Uh, thank you, Eric, for coming on the show and, and explaining closure to us. And uh, um, we really appreciate, you know, your time. There's a, do you want to give a shout out to the link one more time so people can get that discount? Yeah, purelyfunctional.tv slash throwdown cool so there it is and uh yeah and uh have fun happy hacking hopefully you have a cool christmas project like patrick's probably going to build you know like you know as i said some robot that will that will uh you know terrorize his neighborhood i feel um, like you're just going to make the feds show up at my door <laughs> yeah um i don't really have anything in mind but uh um, oh, actually, I do plan on doing a lot of uh, drawing. Um, I wrote a script for um, for a game, but this is like a like a role playing, like one of these RPG games where it's you know a lot about kind of dialogue and characters. And so now I want to actually go and draw all those characters. I think I'll probably make that my Christmas project. But uh, whatever that your project really is, cool. uh, Get yeah, away have from fun. The computer. And uh, have a happy Christmas, and we'll see um, all you listeners uh, next year. The intro music is AXO by Binar Pilot. Programming Throwdown is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 2.0 license. You're free to share, copy, distribute, transmit the work, to remix, adapt the work, but you must provide uh, attribution uh, to uh, Patrick and I, and uh, share alike in kind.